Uh, right now, we're going to go into Micah chapter 4 as we continue. Micah, of course, a contemporary of Isaiah. And it's interesting that some of the things that Micah records in this short book are some of the things that Isaiah recorded in his book. And matter of fact, as we move into chapter 4, we see that the first three verses here are the same as Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Same words, um, it's repeated here. And, and Micah is ministering to Jerusalem, to Judah, in the days in which they are in. And he is speaking of judgment to them, but also he is speaking of the coming Messiah and then the days of restoration as well. And as you go through the book of Isaiah, of course, Isaiah is 66 chapters. Isaiah will change subjects uh, fairly quickly. One section, he's talking about the millennium reign. Then he's talking about the day of the Lord. Then he's talking about near fulfillment of the Babylonians coming. Then he's talking about a future fulfillment uh, of judgment coming. And you really kind of have to put your thinking cap on. And Micah does a little bit of that as well. So we saw that in the first three chapters that dealt with the coming judgment as it is Micah that is speaking to the people, the spiritual condition of the nation that we see. Uh, they were ripping each other off. They were being unjust. They were out for themselves. They, they were uh, looking and, and seeing how they can take people's land and, and how they can rip people off and all these things. And so Micah is addressing all of that. And the Lord is going to bring judgment to them because they have continued in their idol worship. And that's the familiar theme that we have seen going through the books of the prophet. And so what we're going to see in the next two chapters is the focus on the coming deliverer. Let's begin to look at that. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, chapter 4, verse 1, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the, the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For our Zion, the law, shall go forth in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In verse 3, he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore. So again, Micah's writing down what we read in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And he starts out by saying, it shall come to pass in the latter days. And he begins to speak about the millennium reign of Christ, that thousand-year reign after the tribulation period when Jesus comes back and he rules and reigns from Mount Zion, from Jerusalem. He will judge the nations, and, and that is a time period of a thousand years. We know that from Revelation chapter 20. And in that reign, we're going to see certain things that are going to happen. Uh, here, as Micah is ministering, there is a temple, the first temple, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. That temple would be destroyed in 586 by the Babylonians. But there is going to be, as Ezekiel prophesied in chapters 40 through 48 of his book, a millennial temple that will be uh, up and and matter of fact, people are going to travel to the mountain of God as the, the, uh, the temple of God there, the millennial temple, is going to be on that mountain, the mountain of God, uh, Mount Zion. Speaking of uh, Jerusalem, out of Zion the law shall go forth. He will teach us his ways. We're going to be taught by the Lord. Isn't that so incredible? 
We're going to go to Jerusalem, you know, the people in the millennium reign, be taught by the Lord. Uh, and if you haven't been to Israel, eventually you're going to get there. Of course, we will be in our glorified states at that time because we are going to be raptured or we'll go home uh, to be with the Lord before the tribulation period, uh, whether we breathe our last or can close our eyes or the rapture comes. But we will be in a glorified state, but in the millennium reign, people are going to come up from the nations, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, according to Zechariah chapter 14. They're going to learn of the Lord. It's going to be just a glorious time. And we also know in verse 3 here that they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore, that that is on the walls of the United Nation. And as much as they try to bring peace to this world, and we can, that's a whole other discussion about the United Nations and, and their philosophy and all of this, that peace is not going to come until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes. So we know that the world right now is in turmoil. A matter of fact, in the Prophecy Update, we're going to talk about how uh, there is more tension in the Middle East now than there has been for a long time. We know that uh, the United States is trying to renegotiate the nuclear deal with Iran, and uh, they are digging in their heels. Israel has said that if they do not comply, that we will defend ourselves and we will take care of it, uh, and, and saying that we will use all options, and one of those options is a military option. So there is great uh, upheaval right now. Uh, in the world, uh, in this world where there is no peace, hasn't been one day of peace since Jesus came and, and died for our sins and rose again. Uh, the world's always been in turmoil, and there will not be peace until he comes back. And as we continue reading here in verse 4, that, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. The mouth of the Lord of the hosts has spoken. For all people walk in each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and forever. And as we read this, we see that he is the one that everyone is going to live in that time of peace. It's going to be a time where he's going to provide for us, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and forever. And that's such a glorious, glorious truth that is given to us here. We read in verse 6, In that day, says the Lord, that I will assemble the lame and will gather the outcasts, those whom I have afflicted, and I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcasts a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion, another name for Jerusalem, and from now on, even forever, as we read verse 8, And you, O tower the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So he will gather his people before there was persecution. They've gone through their history. We've seen it during this time when the Babylonians came, during the time of Rome, persecution, judgment, outcasts. They were considered outcasts in captivity. There was a scattering of his people, but the Lord will restore them and bring them back. And he does the same thing with you and me. Because we were outcasts. Uh, we were at enmity with God. Uh, we were sinners. Uh, we were scattered. Uh, we are in captivity to the world. But the Lord has rescued us. And he has saved us. And we remember that. And we're thankful for that. And now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Verse 9. 
Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. That's interesting that uh, is given there. We know the last days the signs are like wom- uh, a woman in labor, labor pains. Birth pangs is what they are. Here's kind of a similar phraseology, but here it's speaking about your counselors perish. You know, you, you turn to these false counselors, these false leaders, and, and they're gone. And he, I believe that here in verse 9 and 10, he's speaking about the Babylonians, as we will see in verse 10, but be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs, for now you shall go forth from the city, you shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go, and there you shall be delivered, there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemy. So Babylon's going to come in eventually and take them, but we do know, uh, as they would go off into uh, captivity by when Micah is writing this, uh, Babylon wasn't even a major power. But this is going to happen as we know Babylon will come to an end in the book of Revelation in the tribulation period and he will rescue his people. So it has a future uh, fulfillment as well. The birth pangs that Jesus talks about in the Olivet Discourse are going to come the culmination in the day of the Lord, or that period called the tribulation period. And then the Lord will come back and free his people and rule and reign. Verse 11, Now also many nations have gathered against you, who say, Let her be defiled, and let her, our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them like sheaves in the threshing floor. So it seems to indicate that many nations will come against the daughter of Zion. So again, there are many scholars that believe that this section here really has future implication as well. As I said, that commercial Babylon and, and religious Babylon will come to an end, Revelations chapter 17 and 18. But many nations will come against the daughter of Zion. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, those confederation of nations that comes against Israel in the latter days. Uh, we know that that will take place in the tribulation period. Joel speaks about that. Remember, as we went through the book of Joel, uh, Joel chapter 2, that uh, people come great and strong. Uh, we know that Zechariah chapter 14 speaks about that. Verse 13, let's continue reading. Arise and threshold, daughter of Zion. For I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in many pieces, people. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. So the Lord's going to defeat them, and the Lord's going to rescue Jerusalem. He's going to rescue his people at the end of the tribulation period when the Lord comes back and they will recognize that Jesus is truly the Messiah. And as we speak of Messiah, chapter 5, we move into this chapter that speaks of the coming Messiah. Now gather yourself in troops. That is Jesus' first coming, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. That's an interesting verse. Now many believe it's a reference to Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, when Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem captured him and killed his sons and plucked out his eyes. We saw that in the book of Jeremiah. We read that. But also as we read this, it's, uh, as Micah writes down, that they will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek, that perhaps that some believe this is a reference to Jesus taking a beating from the Roman soldiers. And we will see that when we go into chapter 27 in January 
when we finish the book of Matthew, Jesus going through the sufferings, they pulled out his beard. You know, his cheeks were swollen. Uh, they beat him. And same with the religious leaders as well. So it could be a reference because we do know that verse 2 speaks of the Messiah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. So speaking of the word Messiah is going to be born. And we know that Jesus would come and fulfill every one of the Old Testament prophecies Concerning his first coming, the birth and the life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all fulfilled to the letter. And we know that this is quoted here in Matthew in chapter 1, chapter 2 actually, when the, the account of the wise men, the wise men from the east or the magi come to worship Jesus, and Herod the Great talks to the, to the, to the magi, why are you guys here? And they said to come worship the new king. So when Herod heard that, Herod the Great, he was very upset. He called for the religious leaders and he said, where is this Messiah of yours supposed to be born? And they quoted from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 here. In Bethlehem, just right down the street. Now Bethlehem was only a few miles from Jerusalem. And as I've mentioned this many times before, but I think it's worth being reminded of that even though they had the scriptures they didn't even make the journey a few miles to go check it out. Hey, these wise men, they, they traveled hundreds of miles, perhaps for weeks, across the desert, and they come to worship the king. They didn't have the Old Testament scriptures. And they're looking for the king of Israel to come and worship him. And they were wise indeed. And I believe that they had the prophecies of Daniel uh, that they studied. They were looking for the coming of uh, Messiah, the prince, to come on the scene. Uh, that's a study for another time. But they made the journey and expended the energy. And what I hope and pray for our lives, that as we know the scriptures, that we would apply the scriptures in our lives. Uh, that we wouldn't just have a head knowledge. Those religious leaders, they didn't even go check it out. The other thing that's interesting to me here is that the one to be the ruler in Israel, capital R, uh, the Messiah who's going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Jesus claimed to be divine. And from everlasting here, uh, it is speaking of, of, you know, from going forth from of old. The NIV says days of innumerable time. In other words, everlasting past to everlasting future. That's what it's speaking, being spoken of. And they should have known that. They should have known that the one, the ruler from Isaiah chapter 9, that from Isaiah chapter 7, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus was divine. But yet that was a major bone of contention with them when he claimed to be divine and one with the Father. We read in verse 3, Therefore he, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord uh, his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great in the ends of the earth. And this one, verse 5, shall be peace. And then the Assyrians comes into the land, and when he treads in our palaces, and then we will rise against him, seven shepherds and eight priestly men. That's kind of an interesting uh, verse there. But 
what will happen is uh, that the people of Israel, we know, uh, as he's going to, in verses 3 and 4, he's going to come, he's going to be their shepherd. He's going to feed his flock. Ultimately, they will learn of him and from him. And he desires to feed you and I right now. He's the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. And he's here in our midst. And we have his word. And his Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. And he feeds us. We need to be fed the word of God. Remember Amos? That Amos talks about that there's going to be famine in the land, not of bread. You know, it's not going to be of food. But there's going to be a famine of the word of God. They're not going to want to feed upon the word of God. And if we don't have the word of God that we're feeding upon, then we're going to have famine that will come in our life. We will be hungry. We will be starving. Our soul will begin to be malnourished. So he's the shepherd that shall feed his flock. And then in verses 5 and 6, as we read, uh, that he shall be their peace. Um, he is their ruler, number one. He is their shepherd. Thirdly, he is their peace. Peace during that time, the people of Israel uh, you know, they uh, didn't see peace because Babylon would come and take them away captive. And even today, Israel longs for peace. And it won't come until Messiah comes. Uh, people today long for peace. There are many people, perhaps you yourself, or you know people, that they want peace. There's no peace in their hearts. People are more anxious than ever before. People are, are more upset. People are more depressed than ever before. Feeling hopeless, feeling despair, uh, feeling down, discouraged. And the Lord, as we come to him, we have peace with God, but he desires to give us the peace of God as we come to him to guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So people long for peace, and our peace is found in Christ. Will you remember that? And as Micah here, he blends in near prophecy to distance prophecy. The Assyrians he mentions here, uh, there in verse 5, uh, were a time were threatening Judah, and they were in trouble. And just as Israel is troubled today by her enemies, and when the enemy does come against Israel, God will deliver them, just as he delivered them from the Assyrians, of course, as we know that uh, he would defeat those uh, Assyrian soldiers that surrounded Jerusalem in Hezekiah's time. Uh, he will defeat those who come against Israel in Ezekiel 38 and 39. He will defeat those nations that will come against Jerusalem at the end of the tribulation period. And in verses 7 and 8 here, or, or that is uh, as uh, verse 5, seven shepherds and eight priestly men. Uh, I was asked on the radio, what does that mean? And we're not sure. It speaks perhaps of God's fullness of provision for them. Or does it speak of future leaders God will raise up? We just don't know for sure uh, what exactly is being said here. But we know that uh, he's the one that delivers us from the world, from sin and from death. And verse 7, Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass that tarry for no man nor wait for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, who if he passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces, and none can deliver. Your hand shall be lifted, verse 9, against your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. So after Israel's deliverance, 
they will be a blessing. The remnant of believing Israelites will be refreshing to many peoples. The nation will be a blessing to other nations. It will be like dew from the Lord, showers on the grass. But what I pray is we consider this, that you and I, that we would be refreshing to others. And that's something that we can ask the Lord. Lord, am I being refreshing, being a benefit? Am I being a blessing to others that are among us? Or am I just always in attack mode? Or, you know, being defensive or, you know, wanting to argue and put people down. No, we want to be refreshing to others. And so Israel will be like a line among the nations, powerful and dominary, you know, the king of beasts. And then in verse 10, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from your midst and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you shall have no soothsayers. Your carved images I will also cut off, and your sacred pillars from your midst. And you shall no more worship the hands of your work of your hands. I will pluck your wooden images from your midst, and thus I will destroy your cities, and I will execute vengeance and anger and fury on the nations that have not heard. So in that day, uh, the Lord's going to—you're not going to need the horses. The Lord is going to be the one that's ruling. You're not going to need the chariots, those things that they trusted in before. And he's also going to put down those idolatrous things, the images, and the other nations will submit to him as well. And in chapter 6, hear now what the Lord says, Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has complained against his people, and he will contend with Israel. So Micah here pictures, as we move into chapter 6, this court of law with Israel on trial before the Lord. And the witness being the mountains and the hills and the foundations of the earth. And the Lord has a complaint against Israel. He has a contention with his people Israel. Let's continue reading. Oh, my people, verse 3. What have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And from Micaiah Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. As a brokenhearted father here is saying in, in this, this heavenly court that uh, is presented here, what have I done to you? He's saying, testify against me. But they couldn't because the Lord has shown his mercy and love and blessing to his people. I've brought you out of the bondage of Egypt. And of course, this is a familiar theme that we have seen through the prophets of the Old Testament. That I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the world into the promised land. I blessed you here. I provided for you. I freed you from the slavery of Egypt. Just as he has saved us and he has blessed us and he's brought us out of captivity of the world the bondage of the world and he's saying i've showed my mercy and provision and blessing to you and i've given you moses and aaron to lead you in the promised land he brought uh, people into our lives as well to share the gospel to us uh, he's brought the church and, and uh, pastors and others to be a blessing to us. And then he mentions Balak and Balaam. And it was Balak, the king of Moab, when Moses and them were coming up into the east side of the Jordan River there. And in Numbers chapter 22, that it was Balak 
that king that went to Balaam, who was a prophet. He says, I want you to pronounce a curse upon the children of Israel. And Balaam said, I can't do that. This is God's people. And Balaam, he would prophesy. He gave four prophecies, as you see in chapters 23 and 24. But he ends up pronouncing a blessing upon Israel. So Balak was upset. And he said, I told you I want you to curse them. And Balaam said, listen, I I can't do that. But here's something that you can do. And that is what you do is you send women into the camp with their idols, seduce the men of Israel, induce, uh, introduce idolatry, and that's what happened. And God will judge them, and Israel will be under a curse, and that's what happened. Uh, as you use those women and the idols to turn people away from their God. And so they did that. And there was idolatry and fornication that took place. A plague happened as God judged his people. 24,000 died. And I believe that God is reminding them, as he mentions Balak and Balaam, that just as I brought a curse, you brought a curse upon yourself in sinning because of rebellion, idolatry, and immorality, you're doing it again. You're doing it again at this time. And he mentions Achaia Grove. It was the last place the children of Israel camped before entering the promised land. And from there, God stopped the waters of the Jordan River. And then they went into Gilgal, and they camped there when they first came into the promised land, and they were circumcised. So God is making his case that he has done nothing but good for them. And he has done good for you and for me as well. We need to always remember that. And then in verse 6, And what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? So as we read the answer of his people, they ask, what shall we come? You know, what shall we give to you, Lord, as we come before you? And I believe they are asking this out of just bitterness and resentment. It would be like, what do you want from us? You want burnt offerings? You want a thousand rams? You want rivers of oil? Shall we give you our firstborn? They're complaining here. The fruit of my body? It was like they were implying, you want too much, God. You're unreasonable. And there are people today that have that mindset, don't they? That you're unreasonable, Lord. That, that you want so much. And verse 8 is a verse that, that many of us know or have marked in our Bibles. I have it highlighted in my Bible. And the Lord answers and says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. This is what I require of you. And it's not complicated. Number one, to do justly. Be just and fair towards others. Quit ripping people off. Quit being violent. Quit being unfair and being deceiving and taking their land and oppressing the poor and all these things being violent, deceitful, stop doing that. That you are to do justly, treat others fairly. You and I, that we are to do the same thing. That we are to have compassion and that we are to, you know, to treat others right. And we are to give others the good news, to serve others. We've talked about all these things as we saw that Jesus would say that if you want to be great in the kingdom, be the servant of all. If you want to be great in the kingdom, humble yourself. Wash feet in that upper room as we discuss. He says that you're to love mercy. 
or loving kindness to express to others the same mercy that God has shown to us. Sometimes we forget how merciful God has been to us, and we want to extend that mercy to others. And then thirdly, to walk humbly with your God, which implies that you have relationship and fellowship with him. Listen, we have nothing to boast in of ourselves. They were boasting in their prosperity and you know, giving all the glory to themselves and what we have done. What you and I are to do is we are to magnify him, give our glory to him, and remember that every good gift comes from above. And then in verse 9, the Lord's voice cries to the city, Wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod who has appointed it. Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? In a short measure, that is an abomination. Shall I count pure those with the wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men are full of violence, and their inhabitants have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So God has set the standard. He wanted to govern them, to shepherd them, but they refused, and they rejected him. So the wickedness and rebellion of the hearts was shown in their lives. And as we finish the chapter, chapter 6, Therefore, I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate uh, because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You shall carry some away, but shall not save them. And what you do rescue, I will give over to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread the olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. And make sweet wine, but not drink wine. And for the statues of Omri are kept, and the work of Ahab's house are done. And you walk in their counsels, that I may make you a des desolation, and your inhabitants a hissing, therefore you shall bear the reproach of my people. So you're ripping people off, and, and here you are, that you are trying to, you know, uh, sow, but you're not going to reap, uh, you're not going to, uh, you shall tread the olives, but there's going to be no oil, uh, there's going to be no wine. You're going to do these things, and, and it, you're going to be struck by me because of your sin. You're going to have no satisfaction. And again, he, he says that you're going to go hungry. And instead of walking in the ways of God, they walked after the sinful king's Omre, is mentioned here, which is Ahab's father. Ahab, the king of Israel up north, uh, was a very wicked king of Israel, plunged the nation deep into Baal worship. You're taking his counsel. You're not taking my counsel. And then in chapter 7, the last chapter of Micah, Woe is me, for I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. He says, Woe is me. He's very much moved by the message that he's given to Israel. And we see that these men of God, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Micah here, uh, even Amos, they were overwhelmed with the message that God gave to them because they cared for their nation, just as we care for our nation. We care for the people around us. We're moved because of their rebellion against God and rejecting God's word. And their sin had left them impoverished, just as we see people impoverished and, and not fulfilled and satisfied and don't have peace because they don't have a relationship with God. It should grieve us when we see that. In verse 2, the faithful man had perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among men, and they all lie in the wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with the net. 
In verse 3, and they shall may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks a bribe. And the great man utters his evil desire, so much for doing justly. So they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than the thorn hedge. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes, and now shall be their perplexity. So again, describing the specific sins, the condition of the people, they're coming together to take a bribe and to rip people off, and the punishment's going to come. And then he mentions the watchman once again. The watchman that would warn of impending judgment. And as we discuss, particularly in our study of Ezekiel, that you and I are to be watchmen. We are to be given a warning of what happens in rejecting God. We're to be given warnings and be watching uh, in the days in which we are in. And we are to uh, be wise and we are to point to the return of the Lord and we are to tell people the truth. We're to be watchmen on the wall. We've talked about that most specifically. But in verse 5, do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. He, he's talking about you can't even, you know, trust the closest relationships. Everybody's out for themselves is what he's describing here. In verse 6, for a son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore, I will look to the Lord and I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Uh, the close relationships that you can't trust. Now, Jesus came along and said, don't think I came to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Mother against daughter, father against son. And, and the reason that he said that is because as you and I come to Christ, he is preeminent in our relationships, and that does cause strain and relationships to be severed. Some of you have experienced that. You've become a Christian and your family says, we don't want anything to do with you because you're a Christian. There's that separation that's there, and a lot of us have felt that. Here what was happening is that they were doing so unjustly and unfairly and ripping people off, you can't trust anybody. But you and I as Christians, as the family of God, we should trust one another. Uh, to have those meaningful relationships that are very important to really look to one another, to be honest with one another, to care for one another. And one thing that we'll always be able to do is that we can trust in the Lord. We can trust in Him because we're not perfect like the Lord. And we fail at times and we fall short, but He's our hope, our confidence, and we can always trust in Him, the one who is perfect. And do not rejoice over me, verse 8, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I'm so thankful for that. He's a light to us in the darkness. And the prophet here is just expressing his confidence that the Lord's going to reserve Israel in, the, in this difficult situation and in this time. And um, he brings comfort to them as he brings comfort to us in the days in which we are in. And I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I will see his righteousness. And then she who is my enemy will see, and shame will cover her, who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. And so they will fall and be in darkness, uh, but the day will come when they will rise and be in the light. You and I, we have been, as Peter says, brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And we can praise him for that. 
And there are others that they mock us. And when we go through trials and difficulties, where is your God? You know, why are you going through this? I, I thought you were a Christian. Being a Christian does not exclude us from going through sufferings or difficulties or loss or trials, but we can trust in God and see his faithfulness. And God desires to work in us and work on our behalf. So here, Micah, in verse 9 here, he recognizes their sin. He even identifies with the, with the nation uh, here, with the nation's sin, kind of like Daniel did as he's praying for the nation. As He says, we sinned against you. That's why we went into captivity. But God doesn't give up on the nation and brings her again from that darkness to the light and deals with their enemies. And he doesn't give up on us as well. And then in verse 11, in the day when your walls are going to be built, in the day the decree shall go far and wide, in that day they shall come to you from Assyria and the fortified cities, from the fortress of the river, and to, from sea to sea and mountain to mountain. Yet the land shall be desolate because of those who dwell in it and for the fruit of their deeds. So judgment coming by the Assyrians um, as he speaks of it. And then, and of course, uh, the Assyrians would take the ten northern tribes off into captivity and shepherd your people with your staff as God begins to speak about um, that God um, is going to be their shepherd once again who dwells solitarily in a woodland in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As we read Micah's prayer that God once again would shepherd his flock, he will bring true prosperity and peace as he does with you and me. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. The nation shall see and be ashamed for all their might, and they shall put their hand over their mouth, and their ears shall be deaf, and they shall lick the dust like the serpent, and they shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. And they shall be afraid of the Lord and shall fear because of you. So God will show his power in the end times when God works on behalf of Israel. And then as we finish, verse 18, who is God like you, pardoning iniquity? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. I have that underlined. He delights in mercy. He delights, verse 18, in loving kindness, it might be translated, and he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities, and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that good news? And you will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Speaking of the restoration of Israel, but speaking how he's taken our sins and thrown them, cast them in the depths of the sea as we are cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's shown mercy to us. So, Father, we thank you for this book once again. And Micah speaking into our lives. I do pray that, uh, Lord, as we are nearing Christmas, as the prophecy of Messiah would come and be born in Bethlehem, that we remember that, that light came to the darkness. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. And, Lord, we know that you're going to come again and rule and reign. We thank you that you've brought us out of the bondage of the world of sin and death uh, by saving us as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we thank you that in the days in which we are in, that we can trust you. And, Lord, we know that we can go through difficulties and trials. We weep when we see what's going on all around us. But, Lord, that we know that it's going to culminate into a glorious time when you will come. And then on the mountain of God, 
that we will learn from you and we will see your light and your glory will fill all the earth even as Ezekiel tells us will happen and help us to keep moving forward in the days in which we are in to keep our eyes on you. I thank you that um, we can study your word. I pray that you bless everyone here the rest of our week. Look forward to meeting on Sunday once again. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. Hope we see you on Sunday.